This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Let me welcome you to C3, especially if today is your very first time. Thank you so much for choosing to hang out with us this morning. Apparently, uh, that extra hour of sleep did you some good last night because you look good. You look awake, you look sharp, you look good. And if you are a guest, man, I I just want you to know in the life of C3, we want you to know that you really do matter to us. In fact, your future is our focus. You're the reason we exist. And so we are thrilled that you're here this morning. One thing that none of us like, I I don't know anybody that gets excited about paying taxes. Like if you're here and you'd like to do that, talk to me after. But I don't know anybody that's like, yes, it's tax season. Can't wait to write that check. People are excited that they're getting money back. They don't think about the fact that's my money and your money. But, but anyway, separate issue. Nobody gets jacked about paying taxes. But, but I think the tax that we like to pay the least is the stupid tax. Have you ever paid the stupid tax? That's the tax when you make a dumb decision. It's that what was I thinking moment where you're paying the consequences. You're dealing with something that you created. None of us like doing that. And this morning... As we move into Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, we're going to see this icon of the faith do something really stupid. Now, we all want to learn from mistakes because we all make mistakes. There are two mistakes to learn from, two kinds of mistakes. The first mistakes we learn from are the ones that we make. The second kind of mistake we can learn from are the ones somebody else makes. We always want to squeeze every ounce of knowledge and experience an application out of mistakes that somebody else makes so that we don't have to make them. And so this morning, as we roll through these verses, we're going to see Abraham, who's called the father of our faith, Abraham, who's mentioned more than anybody else in Hebrews chapter 11 when it comes to the kind of faith he had. But it's important to understand that when Jesus changes our lives, he doesn't make us perfect, he makes us new. And faith is a journey. And so even though we have faith, even though we're growing in faith, and maybe you're in a season where you're struggling in your faith, hey, that does not mean that you're faithless. It does not mean that God loves you. He does. It just means that it's a process and it's a journey. Because as a follower of Jesus, we're constantly learning how to walk in faith. It's not something you just know. When I was a kid, I wanted to learn to play the guitar. I really thought I would be phenomenal if I just had a few lessons. And my parents told me, okay, before you learn to play the guitar, before you can take any guitar lessons, you're going to learn piano. Because they had this idea, and maybe it's true, I don't know, I'm not a musician. They had this idea that you learn the music scales better, and piano teaches you the foundations, and then you can learn to play guitar. I took piano for three freaking years. Three years of my life that I'll never get back. The only thing I can play today is the Marines hymn because it's tough. That's what I played for every recital. I'm playing the Marines hymn. But piano was something that I I had to go through a process. I I didn't sit down after one lesson. On the second lesson, I didn't sit down and just tickle the ivories and it sounded phenomenal. No, it is a process. There's a learning process and a practicing process to learn piano. When I got to high school, I grew up in Texas, and it was required that you had two years of a foreign language. And everybody was taking Spanish, and so I didn't, I'm one of those people, I don't want to do what everybody's doing, I want to do something different. Today, I wish I'd taken Spanish. 
whole freaking world speaks Spanish, I think we're going to speak Spanish in heaven. I'm pretty sure. Like everybody, I, I would have been so wise to do that. But instead, you know what I did? I took French. French. Like you have never looked at me and thought, I bet he knows French. Like that, that's, never, that's never happened. Two years of my life in French class, I can say about three phrases today. Only one of them is legal or appropriate in church. And I don't know anything else because I didn't invest the time and I didn't put much effort into it. Faith is a lot like that. Just because you have it or just because you've had it for a long time, it doesn't mean it's grown in your life. Faith is a process of learning and living. And in that process, the more I expose myself to the learning and the more I apply what I'm learning to my life, the faster and broader and deeper my faith will grow. One of the amazing things to me about our loving God is even though our faith is never perfect, His love always is. So if you're here this morning and you're in a season where you feel like your faith is weak, you feel like you're struggling in your faith, if you're a follower of Jesus, part of what I want you to understand, part of what the Word of God teaches is, God does not love you any less. He knows exactly where you are, and be reminded, Abraham, icon of the faith, we're going to watch him struggle with his faith. Abraham and Sarah are now center stage in the book of Genesis, and they will be until about chapter 25. She's older, and she's barren. They have no kids. He's even older, and God has told them, you're going to have children. In fact, you're going to be the father of an entire nation. God has promised them a child, but they're in that in-between space where, where they're living in the meantime, in between where they are and what God's promised. They know what God's promised, but it hasn't happened yet, so they're living in that tension. And two weeks ago, we looked at how they did exactly what God says. God came to Abraham and said, I want you to go. I want you to leave this place. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave everything you know. And I want you to go to a place I'll show you. As you're going, not ahead of time, but as you're going, I'll show you where you need to be. And we see this, this inspiring kind of faith in Abraham. He's never had a conversation with God. He's not somebody that's known God a long time. He meets God, and God says, do this, and he just obeys. It's a principle tucked away in the pages of Scripture we find in many, many places that the more you and I can develop a quick yes to what God says, the better our lives will be. It's that fast obedience to whatever God says, and Abraham did that. It was a good season in his life. But the Word of God tells us not only about the good seasons, but also about the bad days. It's interesting to me how the Bible holds nothing back. Have you ever been reading the Bible and you read something and you thought, man, if I were God, I wouldn't have put that in there. Like, that doesn't make God look good. That doesn't make people look good. But, but God just lays out in complete transparency. And so we dive in to exactly what was taking place. Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt. Now, pause. When it says Abram went down to Egypt, yes, it is geographical. But he's also beginning to spiral spiritually. And that's going to become evident in what takes place. He went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Babe, you are incredible. In fact, you're amazing. Head to toe, you are the bomb.com. There has never been anybody like you. He's laying it on thick. And then notice, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. 
then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister. Brought a little Louisiana into the promised land. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. I know how beautiful you are. And it sounds like a loving statement. But listen, something you know, something that I know, when a loving statement sets up a selfish agenda, it's not love, it's manipulation. And often we're careful how we craft our words and we put on a lot of positive and we compliment and we say nice things because what we're about to say is really about an agenda that we have. You're beautiful. You're amazing. But one of us is going to have to suffer. So if you just say you're my sister, then as we go into Egypt, everybody's going to know you're beautiful. Pharaoh will say, I want you for my wife. You'll be able to be his wife. They won't know that you're my wife, so they're not going to kill me. And my life's going to be good. In fact, he's probably going to pay me some sort of price for giving you to him as the bride. And, and yeah, you're going to have to join a cult and be a part of a harem and live for an evil dictator. But I'm going to be good. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. Now, think about this. She's 65 years old. 65 years old, and according to the language, she's stunning. So if you're 65 and young, you're good. You're good. No worries. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. Now, no matter what kind of deal you negotiated, no matter what you've said to your wife, no matter how much fear you're having, I don't know about you, but guys, if, if you're married or if you're dating somebody, you have this plan, and then you get there, and some other man is taking your wife into his house, that's where it changes for me. Like, maybe it was a plan, but watching that happen, you, you go a little bit Denzel Washington in that moment, like, th this is not going to go down like this. There's a change of plans. But my man Abraham, icon of the faith, he just lets it happen. He doesn't stop anything. He treated, Pharaoh did, Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord... <laughs> The Lord inflicted serious disease. He gave him COVID right there on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham, why have you given me COVID? And he said, why didn't you tell me that this is your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So I took her to be my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Get the fat out of Dodge. I, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him on his way and his wife with everything he had. One of the things that is interesting to me in this passage is that Pharaoh, who is an evil dictator, he, he's a king, but he's an evil dictator. He rules with an iron fist. He has a demonic kind of leadership where certain people in certain races are viewed as less than and viewed almost as animals. And yet Pharaoh is more moral in this season than Abraham. He's functioning in a more noble way. Pharaoh, who is ungodly, is more honorable than Abraham, who is the father of our faith. And it speaks to something that you already know. Sometimes people who follow Jesus act worse than people who don't. Sometimes people who follow Jesus treat people worse than people who don't. There's a leadership lesson here. If you lead anything, Parents, you lead in your home, if you lead at the office, if you lead a team, if you lead a group of friends, if you have influence, Abraham is preparing to lead a nation. And crisis hits. There's a famine. And he gets scared. Often fear is the birthplace of our worst decisions. 
He lets that fear drive him. There's a famine. What are we going to do? He's willing to give up his freedom for temporary relief. We'll just go to Egypt. I know God has said he's going to give me this land and he's going to make me the father of a nation, but we'll just, we'll just go to Egypt. Whenever we abandon our faith in a moment of fear, it might relieve some short-term pain, but it's going to create bigger problems in the long run. So what do we do in the face of fear? When your circumstances speak fear, remember God's word. Think about what God had told Abraham. He's up in years and God says, I'm going to make you the father of a nation. I'm going to bless you so much. In fact, people who bless you, I will bless. And people who curse you, I will curse. He has this profound, audacious promise from God himself. But in this moment, there's a famine. He gets scared. He forgets the word of God. Hey, no matter what you're walking through, no matter how dark it looks, don't forget that God says he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. If you're going through some pain and some difficulty and you're wrestling with some things, don't forget that God says you can cast every burden on him because he cares for you. Don't ever forget if you're a follower of Jesus that God says you can come into his throne room in prayer in confidence because of how much he loves you. You're an heir to the throne. You have access to God the Father. You don't have to go through me or anybody else. God wants to hear from you. But sometimes our fear causes us to forget everything God said because all we see is the moment and we think we have to figure it out. See, the Bible is not just about what happened back then. It's about what's happening now in our lives. Did the lights just get brighter? Okay, okay, okay. I'm okay. We're good. I don't need new meds. We're okay. Just making sure. The the principles we discover in the Bible speak to how we're to live now. This was a man that trusted God so much when God said go, he just did it. And now he's driven by fear, so he lies, he mistreats his wife, and he misrepresents God. What does that tell me? Yesterday's faith is not enough for today's challenge. We have these moments in life where we feel like, man, I'm good with God and I'm praying and I feel the presence of God and things are going well and it feels like God's blessing me. And if we're not careful, we can come to this place where we think we can just cruise on that for a little while. Years ago, there was a guy who said, hey, I want to have breakfast with you. He was a part of our church. We had breakfast and come to find out he was seeking a huge promotion in the organization he worked in. And he really wanted it. He was hungry for it. And so he was pulling all the God strings he could. And he was thinking, man, if I just, if I just have breakfast with the pastor occasionally and we talk and he prays for me, I will get this job. You know, it's fascinating to me. He got the job. He quit coming to church. See, faith is something that we think, how I prayed last year, how I would seek God last year, what God did in my life last time. Hey, hey, it's not enough. You need a vibrant daily relationship with God. Just just like you cannot fill your car up and drive for the next five years without filling it up again, it's deeper than that in our souls. You have to nourish your soul. And And you don't even just fill it up once a week in a place called church. You need to fill it up daily because you need faith for today's challenges. You need faith. I need faith for today's circumstances. We need the presence of God active in our lives, guiding us, leaning into our faith moment by moment every single day. And to get that, I've got to seek him every day. Yesterday's faith was for what you faced yesterday. We need a growing, vibrant faith that's fresh daily. But also notice that sometimes people of faith are not faithful. Sometimes our faith is weak and we struggle to trust God's promises. Think with me for a minute. 
Did God tell Abraham to go to Egypt? No. Earlier he told Abraham to move and, and he did it. But now God didn't say move. Abraham decided to move. Before you and I ever make significant decisions in our lives, especially if you wear the label mom or dad and those decisions are going to affect the lives of other people, before we ever make significant decisions in our lives and in our family, it is imperative. It is essential. If you want to live the life God created you to live, it is absolutely necessary that we seek God, ask God, and listen to God. Don't develop a pattern in your life of reacting to circumstances. Develop a pattern in your life of responding in faith. Lean into your faith. Stop running from problems and start running to your purpose. Don't, don't be reactionary. Be responsive. How do you do that? You seek God's will. Before you change jobs or houses or school or spouses, take the time to discover what is God's will for my life in this area. Because so many times instead of seeking God's plan, we make our own plans. And then we expect God to bless our mess. Because I don't know about you, but when I make plans, I, I have a PhD in messing it up. Like, I, I'm above average. I can take something that's not a bad situation, and I can create a colossal mess out of the entire thing. And it happens every single time. I don't seek God, and I just decide to do it the way I think it should be done. We don't find in the text here that Abraham prayed. That is significant because two weeks ago when we hit the first nine verses of chapter 12, over and over again, every time Abraham would come to a new place, remember he would build an altar, he would have church, he would worship, he would tell other people about who God is. There's a pattern of worship in his life. We don't find that here. Now he's gotten to the place where he's gotten used to knowing God. Now he's gotten to the place that because it's familiar, it's not as exciting, it's not as fresh, it's not as new. Now I don't have to pray as much because I used to pray. I'm just kind of in touch and in tune with God. And hopefully yesterday's prayers will kind of rub off on today and I'm going to be all right. We, we don't find that he prayed. We don't find that he's seeking God. He simply reacts in fear to the famine, ignoring the promises that God gave him. And he impulsively decides that he knows what's best. Abraham hits the pages of scripture and has what I would say is a significant spiritual victory. First conversation with God. God says, leave, go, and Abraham obeys. He has this big victory in his relationship with God. But here we find a test. Are you going to trust me in spite of your circumstances? And he fails miserably. It is a reminder that often big tests come after big victories. You see God move in your life, things are going well, and there will be something challenging that pops up. Life is often great and terrible at the same time. Sometimes one side is a lot bigger than the other, but rarely is it all good and then all bad. I heard one pastor say life has kind of lived on train tracks where the good and the bad are happening at the same time, and we navigate it all at the same time. And what we feel is determined by what's closest to our heart or the things that we're navigating that are challenging. And so if something close to our heart is wrong, we feel the bad way more than we feel the good. God has been protecting him and leading him, but he, he forgets that. And reacting in fear will never produce or propel the will of God in your life and mine. Fear will never get you where you want to be. And every single decision you and I make, especially the significant ones, every single decision we make is founded in faith or fear. We make decisions out of faith or out of fear. Abraham is a man of faith. And he has a moment where his decisions are guided by fear, and that is so encouraging to me. 
because you and I have those moments as well. You can be a person of faith. Being a person of faith doesn't mean you always get it right. Being a person of faith doesn't mean you always lean into that faith. Being a person of faith means there are going to be days that we're going to mess up, forget the promises of God, not remember God's word, and the fear is going to captivate us. It does not mean you've lost your faith. It just means you're not using your faith. You're not utilizing the gift God has given you at the level you could. He made decisions guided by fear. And it doesn't go well. That's called America the last two and a half years. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. God does not want us to live in fear. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know God. Like, you know God. And nothing is bigger than him. Nothing is more powerful than him. Nothing is more able than him. And God, God has never been shocked or stunned by what you're struggling with. God has never looked at your life and thought, Dad, gum, I had no idea this was going to happen. I, I, I don't know what to do. That, that's never happened to God. And, and so the question that we have to ask ourselves, I do and you do, is are, are you a fear-based decision maker or a faith-based decision maker? How do you make the decisions in your life? Because both are contagious. Both of them. Do you all remember about two and a half years ago as the pandemic erupted? Do you remember the toilet paper crisis? I never understood this. I never understood. I just need to be honest. I never understood this. The world's going to end. We're all going to die, but we need to be able to wipe. That's important. Let's go chase that. I never understood. Like if the world's ending, we got bigger problems than how you're going to handle that. But we freak out because fear takes us to stupid in a hurry. And we just panic. And that's what Abraham's doing. Fear is contagious. That's why the shelves were empty. Oh, you're afraid? I should be afraid too. We should all be afraid. Let's go buy toilet paper as much as we can. It's contagious. But so is faith. Parents, please hear me. Faith is contagious. When you're wrestling with something in your life, and there's a tension in the home, and maybe it's whether or not to take a new job, maybe it's how to pay the bills because there's been a reduction in salary, maybe it's a, a health issue that you're struggling with that the kids don't know about yet, they know there's tension. They know there's something there. And it is, it is in the most challenging and most difficult moments of life when you're tempted to be captivated by, captivated by fear that you will teach your kids how to navigate crisis. Do we navigate in fear? Or do we navigate this in faith? I, I will say, you cannot be in the will of God living in fear. Whatever you face in life, only faith will get you through it. Fear simply causes you to respond, and usually not correctly. But faith will get you through it. Now Abraham, he's not, he's not only a leader, he's a husband. And, and there are some lessons for husbands here. Husbands, please understand, and this applies to wives too, but husbands, don't add burdens to your wife's life. Lift the one she's already dealing with. Fear is driving their family. They're going to escape. They've got to go to Egypt because there's a famine, and he waits. My man, the timing of men is impeccable. He waits until they get to the border of Egypt. By the way, you're beautiful. You're amazing. You're, 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 you're Wow. Listen, can we just tell them that you're my sister and is he adding a burden to her or lifting a burden from her? 
One of the greatest things that causes marriages to crumble is when one spouse adds burdens to the other spouse. You have an opportunity when you're a spouse. You are the one person on planet Earth that God picked to love your spouse in a way that is healing from the burdens they brought into the marriage because we all have burdens, we all have baggage. And you're the one person that has the opportunity to pause and stop and consider She's acting this way because of the baggage. He's functioning like this because of the baggage. You're the one person that is supposed to look beyond the moment and what's happening in the moment to possible reasons behind it and function in a way that you love that person in a way that is healing. So if you're married, if you're in a dating relationship, are you adding or lifting burdens? Are you making your spouse's life heavier or lighter? With your attitude and how you communicate. <laughs> okay, stop, 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 pause. One of the things we do when we talk about stuff like this is you can be very, very tempted to think about what your spouse is doing wrong. Oh, I hope they're listening right now. My God Almighty, God does answer prayer. I've been talking to Jesus about this, and now he's talking about it. Do you remember last week we talked about how the Bible is to be used as a mirror, not a magnifying glass? Everything we're talking about right now is not for your spouse, it's for you. Every flipping ounce of it is for you. Because you can't change your spouse, only God can. But God would do far better and be able to do it far faster if you would just act the way you're supposed to act and get the fat out of the way and stop acting like the other person is all the problem. You picked them. And so you think about you and what do I need to do? What are the things I need to apply? And stop thinking, yep, yep, yep. He adds this to me and he adds that to me and she adds this. No, no, no. What am I doing? Am I adding burdens? My gosh, our marriages would be phenomenal if we'd stop functioning like the other person is the problem all the time. Because here's the problem with that. You end that relationship and you go to the next one and it's not going to work either. Because all the issues you had that added to that, you brought them with you. You didn't deal with them. You blamed them on somebody else. And now you carry them into every relationship. And you look out four or five relationships later wondering what's wrong. The, prob <laughs> the problem's the person you see in the mirror. And the good news is you can deal with that problem. And God can help you resolve that problem. And you can grow beyond what you wrestle with. But it will not happen until you take some responsibility for it. And you address you and stop thinking about what the other person should change and how they should function differently. The other thing, husbands, why we're we talking about this just for a second. If you want to be a great husband, you need to develop a high tolerance for pain in your life. Did you notice the text? Abraham, he's not even suffering except in his imaginary thoughts. What if we go into this country and they notice how beautiful she is and they're going to kill me because they're like, He's not suffering at all except in his pretend fantasy world where he tries to figure out what he thinks is going to happen. He has a very low pain tolerance because it just has to be in his imagination that it's even a possibility and he loses his freaking mind. I, I think they might hurt me, so I need a plan. You look at the pages of Scripture and faith is a really big deal to God. Faith is a big deal to God. We're told to live not by sight but by faith. 
Hebrews chapter 11 lists things that spiritual icons did because of faith, by faith. It's faith that we need when life is challenging. It's, it's faith, holding on to God, trusting God, leaning into God and who He is in my life that is essential when we're going through difficult things. It's, it's faith, and faith is a big, big deal to God, and the enemy knows that. The Bible says you and I have an enemy. And so he tries so hard to discourage us in our faith. How does he do it? The Bible says that faith comes by hearing. Can I tell you something? So does fear. Usually it's the voices in your head. You're not an overthinker. That sounds really positive and you'd like to label yourself that, but you're not an overthinker. You just have a lot of voices and a lot of noise speaking to you. The voices you believe will point your life in the direction of faith or fear. Who do you listen to when it's just you? The thoughts that pop into your head, is it, is it the Word of God that you've read that you lean into and you hold on to and you grip as much as you can, you embrace it, you try to bring it into your life because what you're going through is so challenging and so painful? Or do you listen to all the negative things that might happen, all the horrible things that could be? Do you plan negative more than you plan Christmas? It's all about who you listen to. And what's true in leadership is also true in family and it's true in life. If you want to increase your influence, if you want to increase your ability to make a difference in this world, you, you've got to be able to tolerate pain. It's in the moments that we can hardly take it anymore. In the moments when we're stretched so thin and the pain is so thick that we make often our worst decisions. If you want to have a great marriage, one of the, one of the paramount, one of the foundational keys is you have to serve each other. If you're dating and thinking about marriage, is there a pattern of serving each other? Students, if you want to be married one day, or if you want to just have healthy relationships in general, it's all about serving each other. Jesus came to serve. One of the foundational keys to a great marriage is, is serving each other. But here's the thing. You cannot serve when you're selfish. Selfish people don't serve. It just doesn't happen. The reality is, if serving was easy, everybody would do it. Everybody would have a great marriage. Everybody would have great friendships and great relationships. But, but selfishness, selfishness is the terminal cancer of relationships. It eats away on the inside gradually, little by little. Some people faster, some people slower. But it destroys what's taking place. Selfish people don't serve anybody but themselves. Abraham and Sarah. Was he serving her or was he being selfish? Did you notice the verse that we read a few moments ago? I'm going to have this problem. My life's going to be ruined. They're going to kill me. When selfishness consumes you, it takes serving out of the equation. And when you're not serving, you have begun the end of the relationship. Abraham is loved by God. His faith is not perfect, just like ours isn't. His faith is in process, just like ours is. And as we move into chapter 13, something unique happens. We're going to see how God actively participates in the deliverance and the protection of his people. God is good even on our bad days. And God loves us even on our bad days. And the amazing thing about our God is he will rescue us at our worst moments. That's what he does when we give our lives to Jesus. We don't have anything that makes us deserve God's gift of salvation, eternal life, forgiveness, healing. God, we, we don't deserve that. 
It's when we come to God in brokenness and humility, recognizing I'm a wreck, I'm messed up, God, I need you, and God rescues us. But here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, the only time God rescues you is not the moment you got saved. He will actively rescue you again and again and again, and I'm convinced many of the biggest things that God has rescued me from, I don't even know about them because he just took care of it. He just takes care of it. It, it, It's what he does. And he saves Abraham from himself. If you're a follower of Jesus, God saves us from our sin. God saves us from hell for eternity. God saves us from living separated from him and disconnected from him. God saves us from living a less than life. And the biggest thing God saves us from, the biggest thing God has saved me from is myself. And he does that with Abram. Notice chapter 13, verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt. Now, when he went down, it was geographical and spiritual. Now he's going up. It's both geographical and spiritual because God is intervening with his wife and everything he had and lot with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier. Where his tent had been earlier. And where he had first built an altar. Then Abram called on the name of the Lord. In your life, if you have strayed spiritually, if you're in a relationship with God, you're not as close as you used to be. The presence of God isn't in your life like it used to be. The time you spend with him in prayer, you're just sort of navigating things in life as best you can, and God feels way out there. He doesn't feel in here. If you've strayed in your relationship with God, this, this verse reminds me, go back to where you left off. Go back to spending time with God each day. Go back to reading the word of God each day. Go back to praying each day. Go, go, to, go to where you left off. Now, Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, remember God told Abraham to leave everything, but he took Lot, family member. Now, Lot was moving about with Abram. He also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great they were not able to stay together. And quarreling quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Lot... My man's not even supposed to be there. But when you drag things into your future that God said leave in your past, it's going to rear its ugly head at some point, and it's going to bite you. And and that begins to happen. Lot. Lot is a lot of drama, a lot of mess, a lot of problems. Lot is never helpful. Uh, Lot is tagging along, freeloading on the blessings of Abraham. And they're about to separate. Because you need to have boundaries with unhealthy people. But here's what's fascinating about every time I say that. You know what I've noticed? Every time I say we need to have boundaries with unhealthy people, have you ever noticed in your life that unhealthy people are always somebody else? (laughs) Oh, my gosh, yes, I need to do that. I need to put that in play. What if you're the problem, Jethro? Like you see things in other people. Again, it's a mirror, not a magnifying glass. And so in those relationships where there's a breakdown, in those relationships that are dysfunctional and unhealthy, rather than just the easy, simple, greased path go-to of it's the other person's problem, look in the freaking mirror. 
What are the things in your life that God is speaking to you that you need to change? What, when's the last time God convicted you of sin in your life at all and you repented of it and changed your mind and said, okay, God, you're right, I'm wrong. Help me do this. I can't do this without you. Oh, <laughs> listen. Yeah, they're going to separate. But the reality is they both got issues. Lots of mess, but Abraham chose to bring him when God said not to. Don't focus on what other people need to do to become healthy. You become healthy. You focus on the things in your life that you need to change. That's the only hope you've got. We're all unhealthy. Before you think about all that they contribute to the dysfunction of the friendship, of the relationship, spend some time considering what you could do better. God's promises to Abraham and Sarah are huge, and they're blessed like crazy. But one final thought I, I just want you to consider because it might, it might help you. It might help me in life this week or as we navigate some things. Have you considered that the blessings of God have to be managed? We think of blessings as something we just receive and then we're good. Man, God blessed me and I can move on. Everything's fine. I don't have to think about it. I'm being blessed by God. Everything's good. We live in a world where people often think, man, my, my, my biggest need is more money. I want God to bless me that way. If I could just have more income, if, if God would just bless me and throw me a little bit more money, because often that's how we see the blessings of God. Money is often one of the lowest factoring blessings of God you could ever experience. But it is a blessing of God. Can I just give you a little bit of truth? If, if you think that money is the biggest way God needs to bless you, for the vast majority in this room, just based on research and statistics, your biggest need is not for more wealth, it's for more wisdom. Because when you don't have wisdom, you'll lose the wealth God blesses you with. Your issue is not wealth. Think with me. We call ourselves followers of Jesus. That means we follow the teachings of Scripture. And if we follow the teachings of Scripture, Scripture says, but half of you aren't going to like this because half of you don't do this even though you say you follow Jesus. Scripture says the first 10% of your income you give to the local church. If you had a pattern in your life starting 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, if there was a pattern in your life of putting Jesus first financially and you brought the first 10% and a pattern in your life of saving 10% and setting that aside, when avocados become $120, are you stressed? You've got years that you've built up. You've functioned in wisdom rather than spending everything you got on that new iPhone because it's titanium now. It's beautiful. It's, like, we, we just, oh, God, if you just bless me and give me more. No. Some of you, the worst thing that could happen is for you to get more because you don't function in wisdom, so you're going to lose it. What you need is not wealth. It is wisdom. And you talk to any successful person, anybody that's doing well in life, and what you're going to understand is they will tell you success is at least as hard to manage as failure. Success is hard to manage. Success is not easy to manage. The pressure of success, and listen, before I say what I'm about to say, I fully understand it's God that grows the church. It's God that changes lives. I can't grow a church. I can't change lives. It takes the Spirit of God. Anything positive you see happening in the life of C3, that is because of Jesus, not me, because I am broken, messed up, fouled up, broke, busted, and disgusted all at once. Like, I, I, like that's just, I, I'm just an average guy. So anything positive happens is happening because God does it. Last Sunday, we saw God Changed 14, 14 people gave their lives to Jesus in this room last Sunday. K 
can I, can I be honest with you? Every single Sunday at the end of the service, man, I, I love hanging out with you. I love spending time with you. But I've got to be honest. Every single Sunday, sometime between there and here, or there, sometime in that process, before I get right here, this thought hits my mind. I've got to do it again in seven days. It's coming again in seven days. We saw God do some huge things today. Whew. Hope he does it next week. I can tell you that the quote-unquote success we're having in life of C3, it is not pressure-free. It adds pressure. How do we get a billion people down those tiny hallways at the other end of the building dropping off their kids and picking them up? Like, success, listen, it has to be managed. You don't just get blessed by God and float on it and think nothing about it. You steward it. You manage it. It's part of life. Their businesses have exploded. For Abraham and Lot, it's days of great growth, and it has to be managed. We know it's hard to manage suffering. It's also hard to manage blessing. So what do we need? We need the wisdom of God in both. You want the blessings of God. We all do. But what would happen if we start asking God for the wisdom to manage whatever he blesses us with? God, I need your wisdom every single day of my life. I ask God for wisdom. And one of the things I love that Scripture teaches is God says, God will give, all we have to do is ask, and God will give wisdom freely. What it means is God's not going to look at you and say, oh, no, 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 these, these three things right here, you don't deserve wisdom. It doesn't matter how bad you've messed up, how much you've struggled, how little your faith seems to you right now, how big the problems seem. God says, all you have to do is ask me for wisdom, and I will give it to you freely. So how would your life change? How would your marriage change? What would your family look like? And not just your family today, but your family tree, how would it be shaped if we leaned into faith instead of fear? If we functioned in serving rather than being selfish? And if we asked God for wisdom over any other blessing, what would your life look like? And what would your children catch that's so contagious that they would begin to practice, that they would go further, faster than you and I did because they started earlier than we did? Would you pray with me this morning? With heads bowed and eyes closed, I need to tell you the greatest wisdom you and I could ever embrace is to invite Jesus to come into our lives as our Lord and Savior. Listen, we can't do this. We can't live the life God created us to live. It takes the Spirit of God in us. And so if you're here today and there's never been a moment when you've invited Jesus to come into your life, to forgive your sin, to say, Lord, I, I want you to be my Lord. As best I know how, I want to live my life for you. And I, I want my sins to be forgiven. I want a home in heaven after this life. I want your Spirit living inside me to give me that day-by-day -day wisdom. And if you've ever, never done that, I want to encourage you today to pray a simple prayer. I'd love to lead you in a very simple prayer. You can pray it out loud, or you can pray it in the quietness of your thoughts. But if that's you, man, I, I, I would encourage you, today is your day. I wouldn't put it off, and I can't think of a reason not to do it today. And to step into the free gift that God offers you. Just pray, dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin. And help me to live for you. As best I know how, 
I commit my life to you. Grow my faith. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311, and Pastor Byron will be praying for you this week. And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc, or you can text C3Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.